You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 148. We are back to language. Labels matter. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, before we jump into today's topic, I thought it'd be good for us to mention that the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast now has a brand new presence online. I am so excited. You know, we've grown so much over the last few years that we now have a dedicated endinghumantrafficking.org landing page for the podcast. So if you are interested in tracking down previous episodes, uh, as I know we have many listeners who've done over the years, Sandy, uh, and previously had gone to the page at Vanguard University, uh, you'll want to redirect your links to go to endinghumantrafficking.org. You'll find a ton of information there as well as all uh, all of the past podcast episodes are very easy to track down there. Oh my goodness, Dave, I'm so excited. I pop in a number and there it is. There it is. And and I was like thinking, oh, I want to go back and listen to that podcast when Ernie Allen was on. I type in Ernie and there it is. It is fantastic. Listeners, you are going to love our new searchable endinghumantrafficking.org website. And in addition, uh, there's also lots of great photos of Sandy up there. It's uh, visually much uh, much more appealing than our previous sites. So, hey, Dave, uh, we've got your picture on there too. <laughs> well, there's a lot more of you, Sandy, as there should be. And um, and we've also got a new uh, new graphics and logo for the show. So if you're noticing that in your feed, uh, we, uh, we'd love to know what you think. So uh, drop us a line uh, at our new feedback email address at feedback at endinghumantrafficking.org. Let us know what you think. Also, let us know what you'd like to see on uh, the website that would be a further help to you uh, in tracking down resources on ending human trafficking. Uh, we will uh, we'll we'll take your feedback and uh, implement it if it's uh, if it's something that would be a benefit to our broader listening community. So so thanks, Sandy, for spearheading that project. It's been fun to see that come together here over the last month or two. All right. Well, we're excited about growing. Indeed, and uh, and speaking of of growing, you know, we're always as far as growing, Sandy. You know, one of the things that we are always thinking first and foremost is how to grow uh, the knowledge and the understanding for all of us around this issue. And, and you know, our three things, studying the issues, being a voice and making a difference, always start with studying the issues. And uh, today we're going to we're going to dive into that. And we've, we're revisiting a topic that we've talked about before, but now looking through a new lens, which is um, the importance of language. And Sandy, we've seen an example of this come up again just in the media oh, in the last uh, few weeks. I I probably um, almost burst a, a, a blood vein. I don't know. I was so upset when I read the report of the conviction of the murder of Abriana Sade Park. Um, some of you remember, we talked about this before, and in in. 2014 at Insured Justice, we dedicated our conference to this 17-year-old girl who had been trafficked and picked up right here in our county, in Orange County, California. And it was just following the passage of the um, 
the CASE Act where the children would no longer be identified as perpetrators, but they would be victims. And so they, when, when Abriana was picked up in Santa Ana, California, she was taken to a group home shelter and the, the trafficker, the pimp was arrested. And so when I, when I read, um, and then of course, as many of you remember in that case, and we'll have links to the story um, in our show notes, but as many of you may remember, then she left the group home because the group home is safe. Nobody can get in, but we can't restrain adolescents if they run away from the group home, which is what they often do the unintended consequence of taking them straight from the street to a group home is that they are able to just leave and go back to their trafficker because, and we've discussed a lot of the psychological control issues around that. So she did leave, and the next morning her body was found Mm. with 14 stab wounds. So this week I read the report in the newspaper of the conviction of her murder and that's a, a, a wonderful justice moment for her family. But in the story, they actually talk about her as a prostitute. And that, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. So we have, we have two perpetrators in 17-year-old Abriana's life. First is a trafficker. And he was convicted and received five years for commercial sexual exploitation of a child. And no matter what people say, we know that if you're under the age of 18, we don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. We know that a child is not legally held at an age of consent. And so the idea that we would consider her a prostitute is as far from reality as you can be. We can talk about the control issues. We can talk about um, how force, fraud, and coercion are involved, but we don't have to prove that because if this is a minor, if this is a child, and, you know, go back and listen to Judge um, Douglas Hachimonji's um podcast with us a few months ago when he's talking about um, these are children and we have to see them as our children. They're part of our community. When we're talking about that, we don't ever call them a prostitute. And the, the problem for me when I'm looking at this case study is you have two perpetrators and one victim. And on one end of the spectrum, we see her as a victim of commercial sexual exploitation. And the courts have affirmed that, and so did media, as they began to report on the story, and he was sent to prison for five years. Now, finally, the person who murdered Abriana has been found guilty and convicted. That was, But now they're calling her a prostitute, which changes how the world sees her. It changes how um, the community understands sexual exploitation of children. And 
I just want to call attention to that and renew our efforts to consider language. Those of who have been listening for a while, Sandy, have heard us make this distinction a number of times on the show. And I'm wondering for uh, our newer listeners or perhaps someone who's picking up the show for the first time, why is that distinction so critical in our efforts to end human trafficking? The, the language helps us define who the victim is and who the perpetrator is. And for most of the world, for centuries, a prostitute has always been considered a perpetrator. This is someone who is um, offend, an offender. They've broken the law. And in California, prostitution is illegal in all venues. Uh, I know there are a couple of places in other states where inside prostitution is permissible or um, one county in Nevada, not, yeah, Nevada, but in California, all prostitution is illegal. So when we label her a prostitute, the first thing that comes to mind is that you're breaking the law. And then the second is a moral judgment. I mean, what is the first thing that comes in most people's minds when they think prostitute? Skimpy clothes, um, no morals. Um, they question their their contribution to society. And so to put that label on a 17-year-old who's just getting started in life. And I, I kind of want to go back to her life and look at that because when we when we allow media to put those kind of labels um, without any any thought to it, many many young people get put into that category. And they did um, back in 2014 when Abriana was killed. They did a great story in the Orange County Register, the same newspaper that printed the the story that I'm not happy about that now calls her a, a prostitute. Um, they did a, a story to try to put together the pieces of the puzzle of Abriana's life. And the, the part that was particularly hard for the family is that they, they saw Abriana about to graduate from high school. Um, she already received an acceptance letter to Arizona University, and that's quite an achievement. And she was a cheerleader. She was the, the girl everybody thought was going to be successful in life. And yet she got involved in a chat room and was befriended by the first perpetrator, the pimp, and became trapped in in that life and so the um do we know how she became trapped uh, well we all that i know from the reports that i have are that she met the the guy online which we've done podcasts about kids who meet people online oh yeah and they make promises i know that once she was being trafficked by her her trafficker the pimp that he used many of the same tactics that we've studied before. One of the things that he would do was take away all her clothes um, so that she couldn't leave the apartment to escape, those kinds of things. They, they would 
make threats against her loved ones. And according to the reports that we have from the night that she left the group home, um, the group home staff, uh, her case manager, they begged her to stay. And she was driven by the goal of protecting her mom and her little sister, her family, because this is a common, common way of of controlling um, a victim of human trafficking with threats against the family. And so she said, I have to go. And the the pimp took her to the neighborhood near where her body was then found. And when she didn't return check in when he expected to her, he went looking for her. And that's when her body was found. Mm. And the, the, the circumstances around her story are all horrific. And does the idea that that media doesn't have um, a way of, of tracking that so that they're consistent in their story. And I, I think that's kind of my biggest um, agenda here is once we, once we do determine and, and the stories on putting together the puzzle of, of her last, um, her last days are tragic and people wept and we understood what a tragedy this was, not just for her family, but for her community. And they, they identified this as, as human trafficking very clearly in all of the, most all of the media. There were some media where they, they still um, reported. There's, I was pretty upset when I started uh, exploring on the internet back in 2014, and some of the stories were, again, labeling her. One of them, the headline was Hooker. Um, and so being very intentional in media to avoid those labels. It's like we're changing labels all the time in this field because we want to be more professional. We want to be more accurate. We don't say Johns anymore. We say sex purchaser. And we also need to be just as specific when we're talking about the victims, whether they're minors or adults, because um, at 18 years old, you don't suddenly have a button that you push and now you can make really good choices and you know how to get out of the control and coercion techniques of the trafficker. This isn't the first time we've seen this in media and uh, for sure it won't be the last time, Sandy. And I, as I'm thinking about this situation and the tragedy here, and I, I'm thinking about our media, you know, so much of our media reflects us and mm. our own language and what we, so many of us in our institutions and our daily language, what we say. And so there's this shared responsibility in some way, of course, for us to push back and to give feedback and to challenge media at the same time. Um, I'm wondering when you see things like this, uh, what, if anything, do you do? Do you reach out do, uh, or does anyone at the Global Center reach out or do you advocate on reaching out to media and, and changing Absolutely. language or making corrections? And, and, and if so, how, how do you do that? And what would you recommend for those of us who also see that language disparity in the media outlets in our communities? Well, and this one is, is pretty recent, but generally um, I'll go online and make a comment and as being very respectful 
but asking to be um, considered for for this um, adjustment. I'll also provide in my comments a link to other resources. In this particular instance, I I called um, the judge in our juvenile um, court and asked if um, if they had seen this and that there was some communication going on and the professional responses were very much like mine. How did this happen? How did we go from having um, a CSEC victim to being called a prostitute in the media? How was her status as a victim of human trafficking left out of of the press release from from the DA's office? Questions like that. Oh, so it didn't come. It, so the press release also was not accurate. Well, it was accurate. It was accurate that a 17 year old was murdered. And here's the person convicted of her murder. But it didn't didn't detail and also include that, by the way, um, we also had a conviction against the original perpetrator, who was the human trafficker. Mm, got it. And and I think I think that's part of it. And the other thing that people, because we are the ones who drive what media um, presents to us, they are not telling us things that are not newsworthy. I um, somebody explained to me why I couldn't get certain things in print, and it said we don't tell stories that the plan landed the plane landed safely mm-hmm. uh, that's not a news story and so they are looking for something that people are going to click on and read and so as individuals we can be more responsive to using correct language by commenting on positive articles and yeah this is really good thank you um, and deriving more value for that the other thing I think is that we have to challenge ourselves as individuals to use the right language as well. And when, you know, I I'm kind of accepted the fact that most people are not going to learn to say commercial sexual exploitation of children, which the acronym is CSEC. People in my field, we say CSEC and we know exactly what we're talking about. But the idea of using that professional language um, defines the um, trafficking of of a child for sex in that it says commercial. So it's for business. It's for profit. It's about the money, not about the perversions. It's about making money. So it's commercial. And then sexual exploitation is really, uh, um, I I don't even really have words for, for what that means, except that it completely violates the personal dignity of a person. And at any age, that is um, a human rights issue. Mm. So commercial, it's for profit, sexual exploitation, the violation of an individual. And so we can't, I've pretty much given up, I'm going to get everybody to say commercial sexual exploitation of children doesn't trip off your tongue, but at least talking about um, child sex trafficking instead of um, prostituted child. The word prostitute, any root of the word prostitute, any um, association with prostitution is something to be avoided because it changes how people perceive the victimization. People will say to me, well, if she was 
if she was engaged in prostitution, then she brought it on herself, right? And most people would agree. But the reality is that she is a child, 17 years old. And the fact that in this particular case, we have two court cases, and one identifies her as a CSEC victim, and the other identifies her as a homicide victim. But both of them, both cases, um, demonstrate her victimization from different perspectives. And in that story, they're not separate stories. They are, they're one story, it's one girl. And how media treats that um, should be consistent and help us understand the high risk. And, and we've had conversations on this show, Sandy, that e- even if you, even outside of the, the age situation, you know, even if you considered an adult, let's say 30-year-old, one can, it, it's, a, it's an interesting argument as to whether or not that person ever, quote unquote, chose a life of prostitution, right? Because nobody really chooses that life. Well, and then the research shows that most of them were lured into that when they were when they were fifteen years 15, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the uh, the other part of this too, you know, I I talked to the judge and like I mentioned earlier, and she was getting ready for an afternoon court with eight um, eight of these girls, and her biggest concern is we don't have secure placements for these kids, we don't have a place for them to live where they're going to be safe. The group homes, they run away and bad things happen, unintended consequences from the the changes in the law. And so where, where do we place them? And the resources financially are not there for building and maintaining and sustaining those kinds of, of secure environments for these kids. And as long as the the public is looking at this as these kids make choices, they made bad choices, they made poor choices. As long as that is part of this um, media-driven consideration of being part of the world of prostitution, being in the life, all those kinds of colloquialisms, there is less impetus for finding those funds, for appropriating those dollars and making it a priority in our community. So merely by changing our language, we're also helping to change the perception and to change the need for, not change the need, but uh, change the willingness perhaps for uh, governments and organizations to be able to fund efforts because um, it's, it's a very different perception if you're offering funding or budget for serving a prostitute versus serving a uh, child sex trafficking victim. Right, right, exactly. I I think understanding public opinion is something that the marketing industry um, has done tons of research on, and they always spend a lot of time crafting the message to use just the right word that will draw out someone's emotional response because we make decisions to support something or to purchase a product 
based on our emotional response to that. Some of us are very good at making a list and doing analyzing the yes, this, 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 and this, but most of us make our decisions kind of on the fly. And I believe that in crafting the message of combating human trafficking, of combating commercial sexual exploitation of children, this is one of the number one issues in public opinion. We cannot use the word prostitute for a child who's being sold for sex. So I'm hearing a couple of clear messages from you today. One is um, watching ourselves and our own language and our writing and when we're talking about this issue to make sure that we're using the correct language. And we've talked about that a bunch. Um, And then the second thing I'm also hearing very clearly is when we see media choosing the the wrong language and using language that is not sending the right perception, um, is to challenge that and to, and, and as you said, to do it in a respectful way, but to um, to make a comment, to, to call, to um, fill out the, the, the form. And, I'm, and, and part of the thing I'm curious about too is um, because all of us listening to this, this show see local newspaper articles and, and see our stories online that you know not everyone sees just because of the part of the world that we may be in. And um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago on, on the way to do that. One was to do it respectfully, but also you mentioned that you provided some links. Um, is there a process or, or links or resources you'd recommend when someone is emailing an editor of a newspaper or emailing an online website um, that would be helpful as far as um, you know, providing a link or resource to, you know, here's the right way to do it? Um, is there something that you use as kind of like a stock way of, of responding to that, or is it different every time? The link that I've used before has been a link to um, the definitions of commercial sexual exploitation, but um, you've given me a great idea, and I think we should actually add um, a resource with a media suggestion um, page, and I think we could do that and pull together some of our partners to make that really useful. What hmm. a great idea, Dave. I love this podcast. We create as we go. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking if someone's listening and they see one of those stories a week from now um, in their local newspaper of the 16-year-old prostitute who had something happen to them, uh, you know, if there was a cut and paste, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we'd, of course, it changed for every situation a little bit, but if there was a standard template, you know, much like whenever we're emailing our representatives or there's an issue yeah. going on. A lot of times there's a form letter that people suggest. Um, that might be something that would be uh, that'd be helpful for a lot of us. I think we can do that. I love that idea. The, the third group, because you talked about the public mm-hmm. and we talked about media, but the third group is kind of a subgroup of all of that, nonprofits. And a lot of our listeners are nonprofit leaders and volunteers. And so... Sometimes, sometimes nonprofits also, because they are, they are trying to get their message out, so they're using some of the same marketing principles. How do I get people to click on this? And they will sometimes use exceptionally um, graphic images, or they will use terminology that includes the use of the word prostitute. I've seen child prostitute and... I just, I don't know what to do, but I, I really want to call them because if nonprofit groups are using that kind of terminology, then media will pick them that up from them and it sort of gives them some kind of justification to quote these nonprofits. And that 
is part of our ethical responsibility to be at the front using the correct language and ultimately ultimately using the correct language is a part of respecting the victim and in this particular case um, respecting the dignity and the memory of a 17 year old girl we talk a lot sandy on this uh on this show of how so many of the partners we work with and so many of the partners in the nonprofit community, um, sometimes when some of that happens, the, in fact, I would say often the attentions are good. Uh, like you said a moment ago, um, it's wanting to get more attention to the issue. It's using a word that, you know, people will click on and, and see more. Um, and yet that, that short-term objective sometimes may portray a longer term challenge, which is again, we're, we're, we're using language that ultimately isn't, doesn't, capture what accurately happened it doesn't capture the full victimization that that's occurred and it, it sets us back ultimately from being able to get the funding and all the things you were talking about to really be able to help end in, end human trafficking in, in all of our communities absolutely and i love how you brought that full circle because when we use the right language we are going to set the stage for people to understand it better and drive more support for providing services and support for our children. And I, um, I really want to thank you, Dave, for how you phrased that. That's, that's perfect. Well, and we'll, uh, we'll keep folks up to date. When we have that resource available, we'll actually put it on the show notes for this episode. So uh, this is episode number 148. And we hope that you'll also let us know what came up for you in today's conversation. You may have, uh, have some questions about utilizing media, perhaps marketing your organization, um, things that uh, that have come out of today's conversation. Obviously, this is a very complex uh, conversation we're having today, and we hope that you'll reach out to us and let us know what you're, what you're wondering about. And the best way to reach us is you can go through either the endinghumantrafficking.org website, or you can just send us an email to feedback at endinghumantrafficking.org. That'll come uh, right to uh, Sandy's office, and that way we'll be able to address your question or uh, concern on a future episode here, or potentially uh, talk with you individually. I also hope that if you found this show helpful, you would take a moment to leave a rating or review for it on iTunes. If you're an iTunes user, um, take a moment on your device right now. Just go over to ratings and reviews. Um, uh, give us some feedback on the show. It not only is helpful to us on how we can continue to serve you, but it helps other folks to discover this show and it helps all of us to do a better job of getting the message out of studying the issues, being a voice and making a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, I'll uh, see you again in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.